Hot topics and interviews. And that's just how we do it. And now, the moment you've all been waiting for. It's the Entertainment Man Podcast. Entertainment Man Podcast is brought to you by Crispy on the Web. Go to crispyontheweb.com for more information, social media, and much, much more. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Entertainment Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Man. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to another episode of the podcast, another interview. I'm just, like I said last week, I'm just bringing out interviews left and right. Today, we are going to be interviewing, I'm going to be interviewing Terry Tucker from owner of Motivational Check. How's it going, Terry? It's going great, Chris. I'm looking forward to talking with you. Yeah, a little uh, history, I guess, backstory is Terry and I connected last year, but then, unfortunately, things kind of, I was going back and forth with the the other podcast that you guys know and love now that's on air. I've been going back and forth. There was drama. There was problems. My mental health was going there. But Terry and I actually connected, I think, a year ago. Around now, I think it was. So I think you're right. Yeah. So that's amazing. But we finally get to, we get to, I get to talk to Terry. It's good to have you on finally and see you face to face. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I was uh, born and raised in Chicago. I am the oldest of three boys. You, you can't tell this from looking at at me but I'm six foot eight inches tall and I played college basketball at the Citadel in Charleston South Carolina uh, I have a brother who's six foot seven who was a pitcher on the University of Notre Dame baseball team and then my middle brother uh, is six foot six and he was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers in the National Basketball oh. Association and then my dad was six foot five so I sort of joke that if you sat behind our family in church growing up there wasn't a prayers chant you're gonna see anything that was going on uh, in front of us but you know our five foot eight inches mother was the boss. It didn't matter how big, tall, strong we were. Whatever mom said, that's the way it went. When I graduated from college, I moved home to find a job. I was on my mark uh, with my newly obtained business administration degree. And I look back now and realize how little I knew about business just because I had a degree in it. Fortunately, I was able to find that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain. Unfortunately, I ended up living with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mom care for my father and my grandmother who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Uh, in terms of my professional career, as I mentioned, started out in marketing at Wendy's, became a hospital administrator, then made a major pivot in my life and became a police officer. And I worked undercover narcotics. I was a SWAT team hostage negotiator. I then started my own school security consulting business, coached girls high school basketball when we lived in Texas. In 2019, started a motivational speaking business, which probably wasn't my best business decision given the whole COVID thing. Uh, published my first book in 2020 for the last 10 years. I've been dealing with this very rare form of cancer. Mm -hmm. And then finally, my wife and I have been married for 28 years. We have one child, a daughter, who's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy oh, wow. and is an officer in the new branch of the military here in the United States, the Space Force. Okay, that's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah like uh, it's a very noble job to be, you know, in the Air Force or Navy or Army. You know, it really is a noble job. It's a tough job, though. Yeah, it really is. I mean, we're, we're extremely proud of her. You know, yeah. she, she's got her college degree and has been doing this for a few years now so mm -hmm. it's a uh, it's something fun yeah. is it was there uh sorry, what inspired you to create motivational check and come up with the name so motivational check was uh, a phrase when i was in the police academy i was a policeman in cincinnati ohio and when i was going through the academy our defensive tactics instructor uh gave us this phrase motivational check so whenever we were doing something if, if you were having a tough day if you didn't think you were going to get through it if you were struggling a little bit you 
you could yell out motivational check and the rest of the class would respond with a with a loud 84. We were the 84th recruit class just to let that person know that, hey, you're not alone. You know, we're all having a tough day, but we're all going to get through this together. So when I was looking for a name for my blog, mm-hmm. motivational check came to mind and I, I thought it fit. So I've been using it since 2019. Mm-hmm. It, it was, I guess that was kind of like uh, inspiration to uh, create the blog. So Yeah, it really was. I mean, people kept telling me, you know, you ought to, you ought to start a blog. And I was really hesitant to do it because I was like, Yo, look, I'm old. I can barely turn my cell phone on. I mean, starting a blog, you know, I, I mean, literally the blog was four pages when I started it. It took me four months. I, I had no idea what I was doing. I was, you know, I would Google something like, oh, that's what that means. Oh, well, what does this mean now? And now I've got to go do that. So it was a huge learning curve for me. I'm sure my 25 year old daughter could have done it in about 10 minutes. But, you know, yeah. unfortunately for me, it was one of those things where I had to learn as I went. Yeah, it's uh, that's why Google is your best friend, because you can look up anything. I learned HTML off of Google and Google YouTube. Like it's such a powerful tool that to this day and age to help us out. Yeah, it's not something I ever had, you know, growing up or even in college. And, you know, I, I really kind of date myself when I say, you know, when I graduated college, I moved home to find a job. And that was long before the Internet was that was available to help people, you know, yeah. find employment. I was looking at the newspaper and trying to find a job. Because I know YouTube and uh, Google, I don't think was much of a thing when I was growing up because I'm born in 85. So, uh, okay. yeah, it's uh, it's amazing how far how far along the technology is. You got Google, you got Bing, you have Yahoo, you have all those different amazing platforms to help you out and search for things. Uh, so is, was there a specific reason why you created Motivational Check? Um, you know, I've been through this 10 year. It's 10 years now. You know, it was, I think it was like seven years or so yeah. back then where I'd been through this whole cancer journey and, and had been through quite a bit. And at that time, I had, I had, had my uh, left foot amputated mm-hmm. because of the cancer. And so people were like, you know, you should do this. And and I, I remember laying in bed, you know, kind of after I had my my foot amputated in, in sort of a, okay, God, what do I do? You know, like looking at the ceiling, like I I'm really was at a crossroads. I had, didn't really have a, a direction. I, I didn't have a goal. I didn't have anything like that. And, and you know, there's, there's kind of an old joke that says when we talk to God, it's called prayer. When God talks to us, it's called schizophrenia. So, I mean, I don't want anybody to think that God actually spoke to me, but I think what God does is put people in our path mm-hmm. and say, you know, hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? And when enough people had suggested I start a blog, I kind of figured I better perk up and listen to it because maybe it was it was something that I was supposed to do as opposed to something, you know, I wanted to do. And and I think in all honesty, it was something I was supposed mm-hmm. to do. And, and so that was really, you know, like I said, I, it was a huge learning curve for me, but I think it was something I was supposed to do and I'm really glad I did it. Yeah, that's good. Uh, can you talk about the four truths to the guide decisions I make in my life? Your book. Yeah, the the four truths are things that I I guess I've developed or I've thought about over the last ten years. I, I kind of look at it as a uh, sort of a bedrock of my soul. It's a good place to sort of build a life off of. And and these are four truths that work for me. I, I don't sit here and board to have all the answers. I mean, uh, but they work for me. And if, if some of them work for you or all of them work for you, then you know certainly take them, use them. You know, I think they'll make a, a good life for you. And, and I have them here on a post-it note that I that I have on my desk. So I see them multiple times a day and they're, they're reinforced in my brain. So the first one is this, you need to control your mind or your mind is going to control you. The second one is you need to embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life mm-hmm. and use that pain and difficulty to make you a stronger and more determined individual. The third one is, I guess, more of a legacy truth. I think it's important, regardless of what stage we are, 
in our life to think about the end game. You know, what are people going to say about you at your funeral? That's not to say that I think you should live the way other people won't want you to live. I, I don't think that at all. I think you need to live a life that's true to yourself. But the third one is this. What you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And then the fourth one, I think in a lot of ways, is kind of self-explanatory. It's this. As long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. So I use those truths as I'm trying to decide, you know, hey, am I going to start this therapy for my cancer? Or am I going to get involved in this project and things like that? They're, they're very just good things, I think, that, that guide me along with my with my faith and certain my relationship, relationship with my family and my friends. Mm-hmm. All right. Actually, it's funny thing is I kind of go by those same things. And I, well, I haven't, I'm going to, I'm going to get your book eventually after this interview. I'm going to have to get another book, but I'm going to buy it. So I want to read it. And, um, but it seems that those kind of help me as well. Like I go by those same things, you know? Yeah. I, I think we have to have, you know, truths or values or something like that yeah. that, that guide our life. And, and, you know, that, that basically lead us to being a person of good character. And I mean, some people don't, some people, you know, you ask them what they believe in and they really can't tell you. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I've asked people from time to time, hey, what what do you believe in enough that you're willing to die for? And most people can't answer that question. You know, it's not something that, that they've thought about. You know, mm-hmm. what, what would you, you know, what's in, what's that important to you? Is it love? Is it freedom? Is it, you know, your family? What is it that you would, you would lay down your life for? And very few people have ever thought mm-hmm. about that and, you know, have a good answer for me. Yeah, that, that's very true. Uh, so can you talk about your journey with uh, cancer a bit? It's a uh, Carl Lena. Can you pronounce the? Yeah, it's it's really hard <laughs> to pronounce. I mean, don't feel bad. I, it really is. Sometimes I have a hard time. It's called acral oh. litiginous malignant melanoma. Yeah. And so I was, a, as I mentioned, I was a girls high school basketball coach in Texas back in 2012. And I had a callus break open on the bottom of my foot, right below my third toe. And initially I didn't think much of it because as a coach, you're on your feet a lot. But after it didn't heal after a couple of weeks, I went and saw a podiatrist, a foot doctor friend mm-hmm. of mine. And he took an x-ray and he said, Terry, I think you have a little cyst in there and I can cut it out. And he did. And he showed it to me. It was just a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it. No dark spots, no blood, nothing that gave either one of us concern. But fortunately, he sent it off to pathology to have it examined. And then two weeks later, I get a call from him. And as I mentioned, he was a friend. And the more difficulty he was having laying out what was going on, the more frightened I was becoming. And so finally he said, you know, Terry, I've been a doctor for 25 years and I have never seen the form of cancer that you have. You have this very rare form of melanoma and I recommend you go to the MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston and be treated. And I did. And I had the bottom of my foot cut out. I had all the lymph nodes in my groin removed. And then when I healed, my oncologist, my doctor put me on a drug called interferon. It was a weekly injection that she wanted me to take to try to keep the disease from coming back. And the side effects of interferon where it gave me severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. And, you know, I ended up losing, I lost like 50 pounds during the therapy. I used I used to joke that I thought I was so skinny that I could go hang gliding on a Dorito, you know, <laughs> and and I, I was nauseous, I was fatigued, I was chilled. Even my ability to taste food diminished and I was just continually ate. And this went on every week for five years. So imagine having the flu every week for five years. And that wasn't a cure, that was just to keep the disease from coming back. Yeah. In 2017, I had to stop the interferon because I ended up in the intensive care unit of the local hospital with a body temperature of 108 degrees, which usually isn't compatible with being alive, but fortunately they were able to stabilize me. And so I, I stopped the interferon and the cancer came back almost immediately in the exact same place that 
it initially presented back in 2012. That led to the amputation of my left foot in 2018. 2019, the cancer worked its way up my shin, uh, requiring two more operations. And then in 2020, an undiagnosed tumor kind of in my ankle area grew large enough that it fractured my tibia, my, my shin bone. And my only recourse right in the middle of the pandemic was to have my left leg amputated above the knee. And I also found out I had tumors in my lungs that I'm currently being treated for. And I know that sounds like a very dark and ugly 10 years. And it certainly has mm -hmm. been. But in all honesty, Chris, I think cancer has made me a better person. I think so, definitely. Because you're, you're a, a warrior. You're a fighter through all that, too. That I, I read every, I was reading every word to word of what you said in your bio. And I thought, wow, that's an amazing story. I, and I uh, said, definitely, I got to have you on because it's just <laughs> perfect. But can you talk about, uh, you know, uh, talking about, you know, how having your leg amputated has changed your life? Sure. It's, it's, that's a great question. I actually had a nurse ask me recently. One of my nurses said, you know, what was it like to have your, your foot amputated and then your leg amputated? And I told her, I said, you know, it, it hasn't been easy. And, and it certainly hasn't. I am, you know, the amputation was in 2020. It's now 2022. And I'm still learning how to walk with a prosthetic leg. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, it's just a matter of trust. And I don't, I don't trust the leg enough. You know, I mean, it's mm -hmm. one thing when you're a little kid and you're learning to walk and you fall down and you laugh you have a good time when you're six foot eight falling option hurt when you fall when you're, you're six foot eight but what i told her is that you know cancer can take all my physical fact but cancer can't touch my mind can't touch my heart and it can't touch my soul and that's really who we are i mean mm -hmm. this is just a you know a house or a vessel or whatever you want to call it to, to house who we really are so you know people get all hung up on you know how they look and you know i had chemotherapy and my hair fell out or you know i had my leg amputated mm -hmm. and stuff like that it's like that's just you know that's like putting in new windows in your house or putting a new roof on your house or yeah. something like that it's just it's just the way it is that's not who you are mm -hmm. you know you are your mind your heart and your soul and if you keep that in mind it makes it a little bit easier i think to go through something like an amputation of one of your appendages exactly yeah i totally agree with you on that can you talk about your cancer returning in 2020 a little bit about how this journey keeps you fighting through all of this yeah i mean it, it was uh, in in 2019 i'd had this uh very rarely used procedure uh, for the cancer that was in my shin. And basically what they did is they ran, they isolated uh, the vein and the artery, the femoral artery and vein in my leg, and they isolated it and they pumped chemotherapy through my leg for about an hour. It was a surgical type procedure. They, they put me out for it and things like that. And so as I was having this, this hematoma, this very large swelling, which turned out to be a tumor in my ankle, they thought it was a result of the, the procedure I'd had in 2019. And so my leg was swelling and I was going to uh, an occupational therapist for a lymphedema specialist. And she kept doing what she know, knew how to do, but my leg wasn't getting any smaller. The, the swelling wasn't going away. And so finally she went to my, my surgeon and said, hey, you need to, to image him. You need to, you know, CAT scan or MRI his mm -hmm. leg. And so they initially did. And literally on a Thursday, I found out that I had my entire lower leg was full of cancer and that I was going to have it amputated and that I had tumors in my lungs. And following Tuesday, I had my leg amputated. So, I mean, I had like four or five days to process all that. It was right in the middle of COVID. My wife just dropped me off the hospital. I was the only surgery that day. They had to get special permission to do yeah. the surgery. I mean, my leg was broken. I mean, it wasn't going to heal because, mm -hmm. you know, I had all the cancer in it. So mm -hmm. they didn't have any choice but to take it off. So talk about being scared. You know, I mean, I was mm -hmm. alone. I was the only operation that day. And I should have been in the hospital for 
a week uh, to learn how to rehab and how to get around and things like that. Mm-hmm. And my doctor's like, nope, we're going to keep you in the hospital for 48 hours. I mean, that, this was all before the COVID vaccine and all that stuff. Yeah. So he's like, I don't, I don't want exposure to COVID. We actually went to an outlying hospital where he had privileges where they didn't accept COVID patients. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he did everything he could to protect me. And I, w- I was very fortunate of that. But then I was now faced with, I don't have a leg, you know, mm-hmm. and how am I going to respond to that? And I also have tumors in my lungs. And <clears throat> kind of a funny story. When I went back, uh, when I went to see my oncologist after I had healed, he was like, I'd like to put you on chemotherapy. And, and I asked him, I was like, is, is it going to save my life? And he said, mm, probably not. And I said, well, I'm not sure I want to do that then. If, if the outcome is going to be the same, do I want to go through all that ugliness and pain and throwing up and all that stuff? I said, but I'll go home and I'll talk to my family about it. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I go home and, you know, I'm talking to my wife and daughter. <clears throat> my daughter's like, okay, we need a family meeting. Family meeting, there's three of us. It's not like we got a board or anything like that. You know, there's just the three of us. So we, we sit around the kitchen table and we each talk about how we feel about me taking chemotherapy. And when we finish, my daughter's like, okay, show of hands. How many people want dad to have chemotherapy? And my daughter and my wife raised their hand. I'm like, wait a minute, am I getting outvoted, <laughs> you know, for taking chemotherapy? And I remembered back, <clears throat> excuse me, into the, when I was in police academy, it's another police academy story where the defensive tactics instructor would have us bring a photograph of the people that we love the most to class. And as we were learning different defensive techniques to save our lives, we were to look at that photograph because he reasoned you will fight harder for the people you love than you will fight for yourself. And so I ended up taking chemotherapy because frankly, I just love my family more than I love myself. And in hindsight, it was a good move because the chemotherapy uh, shrunk was enough to me to go on this clinic trial drug that I'm on now, which more than likely won't save my life, but it's certainly buying me some time that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Okay. Uh, so I'm trying, to, I'm trying to find where I left. Uh, what has helped you through this? Oh, wait, I'm trying to remember. What was I talking about? Oh, uh, what has helped you during this difficult journey? How do you, you know, keep a positive mind through all of this? I think a couple things. Um, number one, I think playing basketball. You know, I started playing basketball when I was nine years old and played all the way up until I graduated college until I was 21. And I think one of the things that team sports teaches you is the importance of being part of something that's bigger than yourself. And you realize that on a team, if you don't do your job, not only do you let yourself down, but you let your teammates down, your coaches down, your fans down, etc. And if you think about it, the biggest team game we all play is this game of life. And as I said, this this drug that I'm on right now, um, I go every third week to the hospital for five days in a row. I, I have this drug administered. It's very hard on my body. I shake violently. I throw up. I have a headache. I have a fever. I have all this kind of thing. And I know it's not going to probably save my life, mm-hmm. but it may save the life of somebody five years from now or 10 years from now based on the data that the doctors are taking from my blood tests and my scans and things mm-hmm. like that. Now, I won't be around for that, but that is the way I look at it. That's part of being, you know, part of something that's bigger than yourself where you're helping somebody else. So I think that's one thing that, that keeps me going. And, and the other thing that keeps me going is what I call my three Fs, which are faith, family, and friends. I, I, I've had a very strong faith in God. When I found out that I was having my leg amputated, I went with my wife to the cemetery and the mortuary and the church, and I planned my funeral. And I go on these podcasts and I talk about continuing to move forward and, and staying positive and all that. And so I got some brushback from that from, from people. They were like, you know, don't you think that's kind of defeatist, you know, planning your funeral? And I kind of looked at them like, well, last time I checked, we're all going to die. I don't think yeah. anybody's working on a cure for life right now. So, no, definitely you know, not. Yeah. So there was this old saying that I remember hearing years ago. It was a Native American Blackfoot proverb, and it went like this. When you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such 
such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. So I have a very deep faith in God that, you know, and, and people have asked me, you know, who do you blame because you got cancer? I'm like, who do I blame? I, I don't I don't blame anybody. It's like, well, you know, and, and we're great, especially here in the United States of, you know, we, we start down a path toward our goals and then we bump up against an impediment and we, we say, oh, okay, I got to quit. And, and we don't quit. We, we look to blame. It's like, well, who am I going to blame because I didn't reach my goal? We don't take responsibility for our own success and happiness. You know, we blame our parents or our boss or our station in life. And so people have asked me, you know, who do you blame? I'm like, I don't blame anybody. And then it was like, well, do you blame God? And I sort of joke, you know, no, I don't think God got up on a Tuesday morning, checked his to-do list and said, you know, Terry Tucker cancer today. I, I, I don't think no. that at all. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I, I do believe that God has given me the strength to, to get through this. And then I mentioned my family, the other, the other F. And then my friends, you know, you, I think you really find out who your friends are when you mm -hmm. have a chronic illness or a terminal illness. And, you know, there have been people that I thought were in my corner that aren't. Mm -hmm. And one of the examples that I give, and, and I know I've done this, you know, where somebody's going in the hospital and maybe be for something good. You're going to have a baby or something like that. And what do you always say? Hey, if you need anything, let me know. Well, I got news for you. I don't have time to let you know. I, I, I'm involved in all this stuff. The same things that you have to do at your house. The I got to get the newspaper. I've got to go to the grocery store. I've got to take the garbage out. The kids got to get to school. Those are the same things that I have to do at my house. So don't pretend you're playing in the game when you're sitting on the sidelines. Actually get involved and do something. Say, hey, I'm going to come over and cut your grass today. Or hey, you know what? I'm going to take your garbage cans out tonight so that the garbage man can empty it. You know, whatever you want to do, get involved. Don't just say you're going to get off. Exactly. And I totally agree with that. Uh, so has this opened your mind that life can be too short and to live life to the fullest? Is that a fair statement and your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I think it is. I mean, none of us know how long we have on the face of this earth. And I, I think, you know, death does not scare me because I feel I've lived my life. I feel I felt I found my purpose, found the reason that I was put on the face of this earth. I mean, let's face it, we're not all born with the same gifts and talents, but we certainly all have the ability to become the best person that we're capable of becoming. So, you know, I think if you do that, I think if you try to approach life with an open heart, why was I put here? What am I supposed to do to search that out? And then once you find it and live it, death is not nearly as scary as those people who kind of live a casual life. And as a result of living that casual life, their goals, their dreams, their ambition become a casualty of sort of that unplanned living. And those are the people that at the end of their life, you know, they go kicking and screaming. You know, they want another month or another year because they never did anything with their life. So I think my, I guess my recommendation would be find the reason you were put on the face of this earth and live that reason. And if you do, death is not nearly going to be as scary for you. Okay. Any advice I'll just say positive through difficult times that could, you know, help my listeners? I, I guess I'll, 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 I'll give you a story. Um, I've always been a big fan of Westerns growing up, Western movie, mm -hmm. Western television shows, sort of the whole Cowboys and Indians thing. And in 1993, the movie Tombstone came out. You very well may have seen it. It was a huge hit. It starred Val Kilmer as a man by the name of John Doc Holliday and Kurt Russell as a man by the name of Wyatt Earp. Now, Kurt, or, uh, Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday were two living, breathing human beings who walked on the face of the earth. They're, they're not made up characters for the movie. And Doc was called Doc because he was a dentist by trade. Pretty much Doc Holliday was a gunslinger and a card shark. And Wyatt, Wyatt Earp had been a lawman his entire life. So these two men from entirely opposite backgrounds form this very close friend. And at the, the end of the movie, Doc is dying at a hospital in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, which is actually about three hours from my house. The real Doc Holliday died in that hospital and he's buried in the Glenwood Springs Cemetery. And Wyatt at this point in his life is destitute. He has no money, he has no job, he has no prospects for a job. So every day he comes to play cards with Doc and 
the two men pass the time this way. And in this scene, they're talking about what they want out of life. And Doc says, you know, I was in love with my cousin when I was younger, but she joined a convent over the affair. But she's all I ever want. And then he looks at Wyatt and he says, what about you, Wyatt? What do you want? And Wyatt kind of looks at him and says, I just want to lead a normal life. And Doc looks at him and says, there's no normal. There's just life. And get on with living yours. You know, Chris, you and I probably know of probably people out there listening to us that are sitting back and saying, well, when this happens, I'll have a normal life. When that happens, I'll have a successful life. When this happens, I'll have a significant life. What I would say is don't wait. Don't wait for life to come to you. Get out there. Find the reason you were put on the face of this earth and live that. Because if you do, I'm going to promise you two things at the end of your life. Number one, you're going to be a whole lot happier. And number two, you're going to have a whole lot more peace in your heart. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to talk a little bit more about your book. Uh, What helped you decide to write this book? So the book was really uh, written based on two conversations I had. One was with a former basketball player who had moved to the area in the United States where my wife and I live. And we had had dinner with her and her fiance. And I remember saying to her one night, I'm really excited that you're living close to us and I can watch you find and live your purpose. And she got real quiet for a while. And then she looked at me and she said, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? I said, I have no idea what your purpose is, but I think that's what your life should be about. Finding the reason you were put on the face of this earth and living that reason. And then the second conversation was with a young man in college who reached out to me on social media and asked me what I thought were the most important things he should learn to not just be successful in his job or in business, but to be successful in life. And I didn't want to give him the, you know, get up early, work hard, help others. Not that those aren't important. They are very important. But I wanted to see if I could go deeper, I guess, with him. So I thought about it for a while and I took some notes and eventually I had these, you know, 10 ideas, these 10 thoughts, these 10 principles. And so I sent them to him. And then I stepped back and I was like, well, I've got a life story that fits underneath this principle, or I know somebody whose life emulates that principle. So literally during the three month period between when I had my leg amputated and when I started chemotherapy for the tumors in my lungs, I sat down at the computer every day and I built stories underneath each of the principles. And that's how sustainable excellence, the 10 principles to leading your uncommon and extraordinary life came about. Okay. I guess, was there any inspiration, like uh, anybody inspired you to write it or just, it was just a bunch of different people? Yeah, it was a bunch of different people, again, kind of saying, hey, you ought to write a book. Hey, you know, and I, you know, I was initially, yeah, I'm not a writer, you know, I've never published yeah. a book or anything, but I think, again, kind of like the blog, when enough people start saying that to you, maybe you ought to perk up and pay attention to what they're saying, because maybe that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, what was I going to say? I'm just, I lost my, I keep losing my spot here. Okay, uh, so what do you hope people get out of your book that will help them and motivate them? The the fun thing about me about the book is that, you know, the each principle in the book is a chapter. And when mm-hmm. people read it and they reach out to me and, and you know, want to ask me a question or want to mm-hmm. talk about it, what I find interesting is that there's always one principle that resonates with the reader. And, and the principles are not in any order. Number one is not any more important than number seven or anything like that. And even, even though I wrote the book and I wrote the 10 principles, there's one that resonates with me as well. Mm-hmm. And it's this, it's most people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using, excuse me, instead of using their mind. And I know I've done that. I know I've wanted to do something, you know, and I always recommend this for young people, especially if, if there's something in your heart, something in your soul that you believe you're supposed to do, but it scares you, go ahead and do it. Because at the end of your life, things you're going to regret are not going to be the things you did. They're going to be the things you didn't do. And by then it's going to be too late to go back and do them. So, you know, I, I always, you know, you need to get out there. You need to find the reason that you were put on the face of this earth and live that reason because it, it's just, it's important for all of us to be filled. And, you know, I, I, there wasn't any one person that said you should do this. It was just more of a collaborative effort of people who said, yeah, 
yeah, you should do. And you know, you write a book and you're like, well, is it any good? You know, do do you, is this going to help anybody? And when I released the book, I had an 87 year old man who I didn't know who bought the book, who read it and then reached out to me and, and said, you know, if I would have had these principles when I was younger, I would, I would have had a much better life. So for me, that was like, okay, maybe, maybe this is good. Maybe this is something that, that is really going to help people because that was my whole reason for writing the book. Okay. Uh, has coaching helped you uh, with creating motivational tech? I think it has, I, you know, I, I, uh, you know, coaching girls is certainly different than coaching boys in basketball. I'll, I'll, I'll never forget this. I, I was, I was in the middle of coaching a game. We were in the middle of playing a game and I pointed to one of the girls on the bench and I said, you know, go in for so-and-so. And she shook her head. Yes. And then I turned back around and was watching the game and coaching. And I looked over at the scores table and there was nobody sitting there. And I, and I looked back and I, I pointed to her again and I said, Hey, go get in the game. And she started shaking me off like a, like a big league pitcher does to his catcher when he doesn't yeah. like the sign. You know, I was like, no, I don't like that. Give me another, sign. you know, and I'm like, what do you know? You're, you're telling me you're not going to go in the game. I'd never had that experience before in my life. So I brought this player over to sit, stand next to me during the game. And, and I'm like, what's the problem? She's like, I don't want to go in the game. I'm like, why? She says, because I'm afraid my friends in the stands are going to laugh at me if I make a mistake. And I said, well, what about your responsibility to your teammates? I mean, you come out here every day. You work hard at making yourself and your teammates better. Don't you have a responsibility for them, you know, to them to go into the game and, and help out the team? I need you in the game now. I need this person to take a break. And she was like, oh, yeah, okay, I, I guess. So. I, I mean, I'd never had a counseling session right in the middle of a basketball yeah. game. So it, it was it was certainly a first for me. <coughs> Excuse me, good drink here. It's always a first for something, that's for sure. There, there really was. And so, you know, I mean, I always used to tell my players that they needed to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And, you know, I told them, the only things you have any control over in your life, in a basketball game or whatever, is your attitude and your effort. Mm -hmm. Everything else is outside of your control. So, you know, you may be playing a basketball game and a referee's having a bad night and he calls some files on you and you're sitting on the bench. Well, you never expected that, you know, but that's just the way life is. Bad yeah. things happen. You have to adapt to them. And so, yeah, coaching definitely has helped me with motivational check. All right. Uh, what is your favorite thing about speaking engagement? I guess I just I just like the interaction with the people. You know, I, I'm kind of a, a people person. I, I like to, you know, when I when I talk, it's not about me talking. It's about what I can give to the audience, what I can impart to them, what they can learn from the experience that I had. So it's really, it's not about me. It's about them, about mm -hmm. how I can make their lives better. And for me, that's that's the fun part about this. It's, <laughs> it's you know, my, my passion in life right now, my purpose, my why, whatever you want to call it, is really to put as much goodness, as much positivity, as much motivation, as much love back into the world as I possibly can. And when I have the opportunity to do that as a speaker, it's just a lot of fun. Okay. Anything else? Uh, sorry. Anything else you'd like to add that we didn't talk about today? Um, no, I, I don't think so. I, I, I think, you know, we, we've talked about the importance of, you know, being part of something that's bigger than yourself. We've, we've talked about, you know, who we really are as people. I guess I would leave you, your audience with this, that, you know, everything you need to be successful in life is already inside you. You, you just have to find it, pull it out and use it to your advantage. You know, we're all unique, but I hate to say that we're not all special, you know, and, and we all seem to think that, you know, the world owes you something. I got news for you. The, the world doesn't owe you a thing. If you want something in life, find out what that something is, figure out how you're going to get it, and then go after it with everything you have in your body, every muscle, every fiber, every thought, because that's the only way you're going to get anything in life. The world doesn't owe you a thing, and it's not going to give you anything unless you go get it. All right. Would you like to promote your website and social media? Sure. I, I Basically, the best way to get a hold of me is through uh, my website, through my blog, Motivational Check. You can leave me a message there. You can get access to my social 
social media links. You can get access to the book. Everything is, is pretty much all inclusive at motivationalcheck.com. And then the book is Sustainable Excellence, The 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. And you can pretty much get that book anywhere you can get a book online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple iBooks. It's in ebook form, it's in paperback, and it's in hardback form. All right. I will add them to the show notes on YouTube and also on crispyontheweb.com and all the other audio-only platforms. I want to thank you, Terry, for coming on to the podcast. It was finally great to uh, chat with you. Well, thanks for having me on, Chris. It's always great when, you know, nice people like you have me on, and hopefully between our conversations today, we're going to make a difference in somebody's life. And if we do, then today's been a good day for me. Definitely. And also, you can follow, join my Facebook group by searching Crispy on the Web on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Crispy on the Web. And I will talk to you guys next week for yet another interview podcast, three here on Instrument Podcast. Until then, have a great week. I will see you guys next Sunday. Bye for now.